book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. Turn this thing here on. Hopefully I do it right. How are we looking? We good? All right. Philippians 3, we're going to look at verses 12 through 14 this morning. I want to thank the uh, deacons for letting me test drive the car here. And um, also uh, thanks to Pastor Mitch, even though he's not here. Rhonda, you can send it along to him uh, for the opportunity. And um, I love playing music and I love all other aspects of ministry, but preaching is, is my favorite thing to do. So uh, I'm uh, excited just to, uh, to be in the pulpit this morning. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. It's uh, the book of Philippians is a letter. It's, it's written to uh, the first church planted in the continent of Europe. And it was planted by Paul, the church at Philippi. And he's writing them about generally the subject of just pursuing Christ's likeness, just being like Jesus. All throughout the, the, the book, he's just telling them over and over again in, in different ways, be like Jesus, pursue Jesus. In light of what Jesus has done for you and how he's called you, Pursue Jesus. And kind of the, the theme verse, if you wanted to get a theme verse, would be uh, 121. And that's, of course, where Paul says, To live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ, to pursue Christ, to be like Christ. But to die is gain because you get to be with Christ. And uh, as I was preparing this, I was thinking about a lot of my heroes in my life. I've got a few. My dad's one. He's here this morning. Lonnie Joyce is one. He was my little league coach for most of my life. Taught me a lot about self-sacrificing love and teamwork, things like that. And Lonnie and my dad are good friends as they coach together. Um, then I've got some, some heroes I don't know. Big Poppy, David Ortiz of the Red Sox, who's uh, brought two championships to my beloved Red Sox in four years. Um, and then some, some heroes that aren't alive anymore, like Martin Luther, who uh, started the Protestant Reformation. But I got another one. And uh, he was an 18th century Anglican preacher. He headed up the first successful evangelical movement in England. The first one. Uh, he saw multitudes of people get saved by God under his ministry. He did major work to fight against slavery when it wasn't popular to do so. Um, to have prisoners in the jails in England treated humanely when it wasn't popular to do so. He was a tireless worker for God and he knew a lot about pressing on. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. One time a woman asked uh, Mr. John Wesley, said, said Reverend Wesley, if, if you knew you were going to die at 12 midnight tomorrow, how would you spend the next day? And in typical Wesley fashion, he said, why, madam, just as I intend to spend it now. I'd preach this evening at Gloucester and again at 5 tomorrow morning. Then I would ride to Tewksbury. I would preach in the afternoon, meet with the societies in the evening. Then I would go rent Martin's house who expects to entertain me, I talk and pray with the family as usual, retire to my room at 10 o'clock, commend myself to my heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. See, John Wesley didn't have to change anything about his daily routine if he knew that he was going to die, because his routine was to pursue Christ. That was the status quo. That was the norm for John Wesley. He knew that his routine was to try and lay a hold of the God that had already laid a hold of him. That was just how he lived. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's look in verse 12 together. As we talk about pressing on towards the goal. And read what Paul says in verse 12. He says, Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus 
has also laid hold of me. The first thing Paul says is, not have I already attained or am I already perfected. So he's kind of confessing to his readers that he isn't done yet. He doesn't have it yet. He's not where he wants to be. It's a statement of humility from Paul. So that's where we're going to start this morning. My first point to you this morning, and the youth now I like to give points, is be dissatisfied. When we talk about pressing on, it starts with being dissatisfied. Paul was dissatisfied. And what I mean by that is, look at the rest of, the rest of uh, verse 12. He says, but I press on. He's not perfected, but he presses on that he may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of him. And when he says press on, the word in the Greek there gives us a picture of like a sprinter running. You know, using every muscle you have, intentionally and in an energetic fashion, deliberately using everything that's in you to press forward, to run, to give it all you got. You see the finish line and, and, and you're excelling. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he's talking about pressing on with a purpose. He's not just running for the sake of it. I see people who do that. I still don't get it, to be honest with you. I'm not one of those runners. Like, I, I wake up in the morning, I'm driving, I'm all cold, trying to get to school, and I see people coming by in, like, spandex shorts, you know? And that makes no sense to me. They're just running. Uh, so they're probably more healthy than me, but nonetheless. Paul's got a purpose in his pressing on. And his purpose is to lay hold of the Christ Jesus that has already laid hold of him. He's saying, I'm going to press on because Christ has chosen me, and he has chosen me to be conformed to his image. He has chosen me to, to, to be changed and to be transformed to be like his son, to give him glory in this world and in the next. And in light of that calling, in light of that privilege, I'm going after him with everything I have. I'm chasing him. See, God has called us, whether we like it or not, for more than coming to church and just getting our little piece of religion and going home. That, that's not why Christ died. That's not the calling of God. He's called us for more than just playing Christian. I tell the youth, we know how to be professional Christians sometimes. We know when to stand up. We know when to sit down. We know when to sing the right verse or the right song. Some of us, we even know when to cry at the right time. Like, we got it down. Somebody walking by us in the hall, they tell us something's wrong. I'll pray for you. And a lot of times we've got really no intention of doing it, but it's just one of those things you kind of say at church, you know? And that's not everybody, but sometimes you can kind of get into that rut of just being the professional Christian. If, if there was a Christian league and you were a free agent, every team would want to sign you because you're just so good at it. He's called us for more than that. He's called us to receive his salvation, to become more like him, to be his representative and his ambassador on this earth, and to draw closer to his holy heart every single day through prayer and through Bible study and through our fellowship with other believers. And if we are satisfied with where we are at in all of that, in our Christian walk, we are expressing one of two attitudes to God, both of which are completely unacceptable for a believer to have. The first attitude is we're saying to God, I'm perfect. Now you got Paul, you know, author of half of the New Testament, planting the first church in Europe, planting churches all over the Middle East, all over Asia. This guy had it going. First apostle to the Gentiles, and as a person that's not Jewish, I'm glad God called him to that. He says he doesn't have it yet. So how can we wake up in the morning and say, looking pretty good here. I think I've got it. You know, I've been trying at this thing, and I'm looking, and I think I'm finally conformed to the image of Christ 100%. 
It's just a ridiculous statement. And I don't think many of us would claim that. The second attitude that we are expressing to God, the first one is, I'm perfect. The second one is, I don't care. And that one seems to be a lot more common in the church today, which is just as dangerous. Because if we're saying we don't care, you're talking about the God who can be quite scary sometimes. You're talking about the God who can see everything that's going to happen in all of our lives. He can see it like in little frames. He can see everything and how it all connects. And I, I always tell the teenagers, I said, he tells the ocean when to stop. He knows how many grains of sand there are on the beaches. No many hairs are, are, are on your head. And none of it even makes him tired. Doesn't even get a headache. He doesn't flinch. He's just doing his thing. That's how, that's how he rolls, as I would say to them. You know, that, that, that's just Jesus being Jesus. And not only that, he looked at us and, and, and he decided that so he would get glory, he was going to come rescue us and redeem us, so we would turn around and worship him and he would get glory. He's got this big purpose and he lets us be a part of it. And we look to him and we say, I don't care. So it's just an unacceptable attitude for a believer. Verse 13. First, we have to be dissatisfied. And then I like this one. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Once again, Paul's saying, I don't have it yet. But one thing I do, he said, I've gotten one thing, you know, if the old preacher could be here this morning, Paul would say, look, I've at least figured one thing out in all of this. And he says, it's forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Second point is be forgetful. Some of you like this one. I've heard that as you get older, you tend to be forgetful, and I believe it. Because I'll be on the phone with my mom. She can attest to this. I'll be like, hold on, I've got to go in the other room and get something. And I'll walk in that room, and I completely forget why I came in that room. I have no idea why I'm there. I have no purpose for being there. My mind is blown. And I'm only 23, so I'm scared what's going to happen when I'm 46, and I'm just not going to be able to remember anything. Um, but Paul, in this moment, is telling us that forgetfulness is a good thing. And that may sound strange, but let me explain. He says, but one thing I do. See, what he had done is he had boiled sanctification down to one thing. And before we can talk about what that one thing is, we've got to make sure we know what sanctification is. Amen? Amen? All right. See, we are justified before the throne of God. And when I say we're justified, that means that our position before the Father, under the blood of Jesus, our position is that we are seen as sinless. And that's good news for me because I'm a wretched sinner. He says, I see you like my son, because you have turned from your sin and you've put your trust in my son. So I see you like my son, because my son has already paid for your sin on the cross. However, the problem is we still sin, don't we? Amen? Yeah, we still mess up every day. I, I can't even love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for five minutes. I can't do it. I sit, I try, I start thinking about bologna sandwiches and what I ate for lunch yesterday and what I'm going to eat today. And who's playing on TV that night in basketball? My mind wanders because my, my nature is sinful. However, as we grow closer to God, we sin less. We sin less, at least we should. And sanctification is that process. It's our progress towards God. So justification, that's our position before God. We're saved. Amen. But sanctification is our progress towards God after we've been saved. And that, that sanctification will not be complete until our glorification, and that's when we die and we're in heaven with Jesus, and the, the war is over. The waging war, as Paul puts it with sin, is over. But until then, we got the sanctification thing going on, and it can get tough. But Paul gives us his key. 
his key to progressing towards God. Look what he says in verse 13 one more time. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. It says be forgetful. As believers, we've got to refuse to do two things. The first one is this. We cannot rely on our accomplishments. We can't sit around going, man, I went on a really good mission trip five years ago. So forget that whole giving the Lottie Moon thing. I put in my part. I, I punched my missionary time ticket. I'm out. We can't sit around saying, led five people to Christ last year. Led five people to Christ last year. This year I'm just taking off. I'm just going to sit back and watch everybody else do it. We can't take a day off and, and spend that day reveling in the glory of yesteryear. We can't do that as believers. I don't care if you were like Billy Graham, Martin Luther, Charles Stanley rolled up in the one big holy sandwich yesterday. If today your eyes are dry and your prayers are cold and God's a million miles away, then today you're not in a good state. And Satan would love for us to, to do nothing more than revel in, in, in yesterday and revel in the glories of yesterday and what we did for Christ yesterday so much that we are rendered useless today. Second thing we can't do is allow Satan to get us in a position where we're just dwelling on our failures. See, Paul says, don't rely on your accomplishments, but don't dwell on your failures either. You can't sit around saying, God can't use me. I was a drug addict in my 20s. God can't use me now. God can't use me. I've always been a mess up. Everybody knows I've always been a mess up. God can't use me. I didn't get good grades in high school. I didn't even get to go to college. God can't use me. Or I went to college, but it wasn't as good of a college as, as he or she went to. My job's not as good as his or as good as hers. You can't sit around dwelling on your weaknesses or what you perceive to be your weaknesses so much that Satan once again renders you useless and you're not producing for the kingdom of God. See, he's after us. He's got the drug dealers. He's got the prostitutes. He's got the lost. He doesn't want us to get to them in the name of Christ. So he's coming after us to try to silence us. We have the good news. We are the ambassadors of Christ on this earth. And Satan hates that. Because if you boil down his entire purpose to a simple statement, it is misery loves company and he wants people with him in hell because he knows his end is already locked up. So Paul is telling us that we need to focus on the fact that we're a child of the king today. We are his beloved bride today. And in light of that, how are we living for him and pursuing him today? So let's look at the last verse. Verse 14. I think I just said first instead of verse. All right. Verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We've got be dissatisfied, be forgetful. And our third point is be diligent. Notice something here. It's easy to miss this. The goal and the prize are not the same thing. Did you catch it? I press toward the goal... So I can get to the prize. The goal and the prize are separate things here. The goal is this. To try to be more like Jesus, what we just talked about, today. That's the goal. Let's be like Jesus today. So what's the prize? The prize is Christ's likeness in heaven. It's that glorification I was talking about. 
It's the sin being gone, the war being over, being with him in heaven. In verse 20, Paul puts it this way. Verse 20, same chapter, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's the prize. There is no bigger prize. Living under the reign of the Lamb forever. It doesn't get any better than that. You, you can come up with, with anything. I mean, you can come up with... You could tell me that we're going to go sit down and eat 50 hot wings and, and watch Red Sox baseball, because I love that. But that doesn't even come close. That doesn't even show up as a blip on the radar of being with the Lamb forever, married to Him in heaven. Amen. I mean, that's it. That's the prize. But the goal is to be like Him here and now. And it's all worth diligence. The idea of just being in the presence of Christ, worshiping Christ, being in the presence of other believers, worshiping Christ for an eternity. That is worth using every spiritual muscle you have to draw closer to his holy heart every single day. So then the application of all of this for us as a church. Now, I've, I've only been here at Ebenezer since October, but y'all treated me like family, so you're going to have to deal with me talking like a family member now. <laughs> the application is this. As a church, we need to be dissatisfied. We need to be dissatisfied with our evangelism. And we need to think, how can we do better? How can we reach the people that aren't here right now? How can we do it better? And you might think, man, this is Brookneal. Everybody's a Christian here. Well, I grew up in a place just like that. It's called Powhatan, Virginia. Some of you have been there. Some of you have relatives there that I know. And you'd think everybody's saved. I don't know the statistics for Brookneal, but I know that in Powhatan, 73% of them are unchurched. 73%. I mean, 7 out of 10 people aren't sitting in church right now. And I would imagine that in Brookneal, there's a pretty good amount. It might not be that high. I'm sure there's a pretty good amount of people that aren't sitting in church right now. So we need to be dissatisfied and figure out how we can reach them better. We need to be dissatisfied with our knowledge of the word and say we can always know more. Because like Paul, I admit, I have not attained this. I have not perfected it. There's a whole lot I don't know. That means that we need to figure out how to do Sunday school better, which we had a meeting last week. We're trying. We need to figure out how, how to pray better. How can we connect with God better in our prayer lives? And let me just say this, if any of you want to stop me in the hallways and pray for our teenagers on the spot, I'm never going to say no. I'm never going to say, let's get to it later. I don't care, maybe Pastor Mitchell care, but I don't care if we miss a whole service because there's three of us holding hands in a hallway praying for the teenager this, teenagers in this church. And better yet, if you're walking through the hallway and you feel led by the Holy Spirit to stop a teenager and pray with them, do it. And if they are uncomfortable with it, they'll get over it. I know them. They heal fast. Trust me. Just go for it. we got to be forgetful. I'm sure there's been a lot of successes here at this church, and we don't want to forget them in ways that, that we don't praise God for what's happened or we don't learn lessons from what's happened. we got to be forgetful to the extent that if there's scars... Then, then we don't let Satan use those scars to try to bring us down. We worry about the fact that today we are the body of Christ, united under his blood, that we are more than conquerors, 
and that through him we have the, the ability to be a light in the dark world, and that we have the ability to press forward as we search for a new pastor. We have the ability to press forward as we pray for, for members, and we pray for church growth, and we pray for spiritual growth within the church. And then finally, we've got to be diligent. And our diligence, we've got to be tenacious. We've got, to, we've got to just say, you know what? We refuse, as Ebenezer Baptist Church, to stop until every unchurched person from here to Brookneal, black, white, yellow, blue, who cares, knows the gospel, knows how to get saved, and knows there's a church on Ebenezer Road that loves them like Jesus and knows that they can come be a part. But they also know that if they want to come be a part, they're going to be a part of a church that's on the move. They're not going to be a part of something that's stagnant. And they're not going to be a part of of a group of people that's just kind of playing around because we are serious. We are serious about pursuing Christ and pressing forward. Just like Paul was serious for the people at Philippi. Because anything less than that is not progress. And Christ deserves our progress. Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, thank you this morning for your word and how it doesn't have an error, Lord. It, it, it's, it's without fail, Lord, and how you don't even have the ability to fail. And we just ask this morning that as a church, you would give us the courage to put our trust in you and to pursue you and to progress towards you. And we give that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you, uh, if you don't know Christ, uh, we invite you this morning to come down here and, and to give your life away to Him. Turn away from your sin and to put your trust in what His Son did for you on the cross. And we invite you to come do that. Maybe you're just not doing very well with this whole progress thing and you just need to come pray and invite you to do that as well. Or maybe the next step in the progress for you is to get baptized and join up with this community. Um, and we invite you to do that. I'm going to ask uh, that Rhonda would come. Is she? There she is that Roland would come and uh, we will stand as we have our invitation song.